This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. How America Squandered Its Cold War Victory. That's the topic Andrew Basevich takes up in his new book, The Age of Illusions. He's Professor Emeritus of History and International Relations at Boston University and president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. He's a graduate of both West Point and Princeton. He served in the Army for 23 years. He's the author of many books. He's written for the New York Times, the London Review of Books, Tom Dispatch, and The Nation. Andrew Basevich, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, the opening of your new book, The Age of Illusions, is wonderful. It's a quote, without the Cold War, what's the point of being an American? Tell us about that quote and where you found it. That's from a, from a novel by John Updike, who wrote uh, several novels uh, centered on uh, Harry Rabbit Angstrom, uh, kind of an American everyman of the Cold War era. This particular book appeared as it became, as it was becoming apparent that the Cold War was coming to an end. And Harry is reflecting, or Rabbit is reflecting on the implications, and that's uh, that, that's, that's the conclusion he comes to, uh, that absent the Cold War, there is no easy answer to the question, you know, what's the point of being an American? And you have a second great quote in your introduction that's not from John Updike. That quote is, we are going to do a terrible thing to you. We are going to deprive you of an enemy. Tell us about that quote. Well, that's uh, attributed to a senior Soviet official uh, talking to a senior American official uh, and um, stemmed from uh, an awareness on the other side uh, that we had become dependent upon the Cold War. We, the United States, we Americans, um, as an organizing principle, uh, as a source of answers to basic questions. What are we all about? Well, we are all about waging the Cold War, because waging the Cold War is defending freedom and standing in opposition to totalitarianism. Waging the Cold War means siding with the God-fearing against the godless. Uh, and at least that Soviet official appreciated that absent the Cold War, we might find ourselves uh, without a compass. And I think that actually turned out to be the case. Uh, When the Cold War ended, a moment that produced extraordinary uh, euphoria, uh, it it opened the path, opened the door uh, to a bunch of dumb ideas. Uh, And the point of my book is to argue that embracing those dumb ideas as a basis for policy led us... uh, let us down a path that culminated in the election of Donald Trump in 2016. So let's talk briefly about what might have happened at the end of the Cold War. What could have happened? What should have happened? Well, I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is hindsight by me. Uh, this is not what I was thinking and saying when I was watching television. I was stationed in Germany at the time, West, West Germany, uh, watching on television, the celebration at the uh, Berlin Wall, uh, as as the wall came down, as East Germans uh, drove their little trabants into the West and uh, got their first taste of freedom. I mean, I myself uh, 
uh, saw this as a moment-deserved celebration. Uh, we had won. Uh, we had prevailed in the struggle that had, in many respects, defined my life uh, as somebody who was born, uh, just as the Cold War was beginning. Well, that's the way it appeared to me back in 1989. My view today is substantially different. And today I would say that uh, the proper response uh, to the cold, uh, to the ending of the Cold War ought to have been some form of repentance. Uh, that is to say, rather than seeing it as a, as a great triumph, a victory for our side, uh, we ought to have seen it as uh, a, a period of history that we had endured and had managed to escape uh, you know, with our skins intact. In other words, when, when we think back on the Cold War today, what, what, what stands out? Well, to me, what stands out uh, is the nuclear arms race. Uh, this genuinely mindless accumulation of thousands of nuclear weapons, our side and their side, uh, the, the notion that one person, the President of the United States, should be empowered uh, to to launch those weapons on his own say so, without you know a, a declaration of war, without consulting the Congress, madness. Uh, that's a period when we unleashed the CIA on the world, uh, assassination attempts and and and, and engineering coups uh, with almost uniformly in negative consequences. That's the period of time when we, uh, impelled by the logic of the Cold War, uh, you know, thrust ourselves into uh, Vietnam uh, for a war that uh, cost us, cost them, uh, and at least from the point of view of our side, didn't accomplish anything good. So, so the, the Cold War was a bad news story. Uh, and therefore, it seems to me today, again, I didn't think this then, uh, reflecting on the Cold War should be a cause of mourning and regret and indeed repentance. You said that the period since the end of the Cold War has culminated with Donald Trump. I noticed the reviewer in the Washington Post, Beverly Gage, wrote that, quote, Trump himself gets off relatively easy in your book, close quote. I wonder if you agree with that. Well, I don't, I, I don't think he gets off easy, but... Uh, and this may well be what she was referring to. Uh, my own uh, personal uh, perception of the of the of the temperament of our times uh, is that uh, we think it's all about Trump. You know, there there are considerable number of our fellow citizens who believe that Trump is a great president, uh, someone who is restoring the nation uh, to greatness, who take those claims uh, seriously. There is another part of our another. Uh, there is another segment of the population that loathes Trump, has loathed him since the day of his election, considers him an abomination of a president, and can't stop thinking or talking about Trump. I think that uh, my own view would be that Trump is a terrible president. Uh, certainly, uh, is unworthy of the office. Uh, but I see him as a consequence of problems, and that is a cause of problems. So as you and I are speaking, you know, the, uh, the impeachment trial is underway in the United States Senate. Yes. Seems likely that he's going to be acquitted and continue to be president. But quite frankly, even if Trump is convicted, 
uh, and is removed from office, I don't believe for a second that that is somehow going to heal the divisions in our country. Uh, I believe that those divisions came from genuine causes, uh, a, a, a revolt against globalization, which had promised to create great wealth, but instead uh, created uh, enormous inequality. Revolt against an emphasis on using military power as the key instrument of American foreign policy, which has resulted in us being bogged down in endless wars, which we can't even explain what they're about any longer. We don't know why we're in Afghanistan. I think I think the election of Donald Trump was also a revolt against a a radical redefinition of the meaning of freedom, uh, which tended to do away with anything remotely like duties and obligations, but simply expanded upon uh, uh, privileges. Uh, and and in my view, not not uh, not everyone will agree with this. Uh, that that radical redefinition of freedom has contributed. Uh, to many of the uh, much of the many of the dysfunctions that are evident in our society, whether we're talking about drugs or we're talking about pornography or we're talking about obesity or we're talking about the domestic violence uh, and on and on, uh, ours is not a healthy society. Donald Trump did not create uh, those problems. Uh, I think that those problems, at least indirectly, contributed to. Donald Trump becoming a president. And you conclude in your book, The Age of Illusions, that the post-Cold War era is coming to an end and that the era of American primacy in the world has now ended for good, you say. What do you mean? Well, maybe maybe for good is, uh, is, is too strong because I don't pretend to know, you know, what, what the... Where, where we'll be in global politics a uh, hundred years from now. That said, uh, American elites were persuaded uh, that the end of the Cold War, the fact that it ended as it did, signaled that we were embarking upon a new era of American primacy. You know, this, this phrase, it's very much of our, part of our politics, this phrase, the American century, yeah. American century dates basically from uh, World War II. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that was the moment when uh, not simply elites, but many Americans came to the realization that, you know, we were on top. We we're number one. Uh, we're, the, we're the biggest, baddest country in the world. I think that the end of the Cold War affirmed that notion. Uh, and led people to believe that it wasn't simply an American century that we were living out, but an American epoch. You know, this was going to be open-ended. And yet, what happened, I think, over the course of this post-Cold War era, in other words, the period from the fall of the Berlin Wall to the election of Donald Trump, is that we experienced an accumulation of evidence suggesting that, no, we really weren't number one. We weren't the biggest and baddest. Uh, you know, the, the problems were economic. Uh, the problems uh, occurred in the military sphere, uh, where it turned out we, we could start wars, but really didn't know how to win them and end them. And I think they also occurred in the cultural sphere. So 
I don't I don't mean to be Mr. Doom and Gloom. I don't think that uh, you know we are we are headed down into the third tier of American uh, of, of world nations. However, that might be measured. Uh, but I think that the notion that the notion of primacy uh, that that was a bad idea when it was hatched uh, and has today become unsustainable. So what do you think should replace the Cold War focus on on us versus them, on freedom versus uh, tyranny? You conclude that we do have the kind of morally grounded cause that requires a great transformation and that could be the basis of a new kind of consensus. What is it? Climate change. Uh, I mean, I I am persuaded, and I, I must say again, it's not that uh, 20 years ago I was saying this, uh, but uh, I certainly have come to believe in recent years that that is the great common threat that we face, common not only to all Americans, uh, but common to all of us uh, who live on, on, on planet Earth. Uh, and therefore, there is an answer uh, to, the que- to Rabbit's question. You know, what, what is the point of being an American? The point of being an American is going to, uh, to find ways in common, working together, uh, to, to diminish this threat in order to be able to preserve our, our freedoms. And I should emphasize that's going to require changing our way of life. Now, if indeed our way of life has, you know, we talk about freedom a lot, but it seems to me that the mainstays of the American way of life have been material consumption and expectations of, of hypermobility. Uh, that when I see something and I want to buy it, being an American says I should be able to do so, even if I'm buying it on credit. Uh, when I decide I want to go someplace, I should be able to get in my car or buy a plane ticket uh, and go there. So material consumption, mobility, uh, those are central, I think, to what has come to be the American way of life. Both of those are going to have to be curbed if indeed we're going to be able to make a serious effort at reducing the impact of of climate change. And that will require uh, a common effort. It's going to require collaboration. Uh, and, And I think that in that imperative of, of collaboration is the possibility of reuniting the country, uh, coming to a richer conception of, of citizenship, uh, and those, I think, are, are necessary. Andrew Basevich, his new book is The Age of Illusions, How America Squandered Its Cold War Victory. Andy, thanks for this book, and thanks for talking with us today. Oh, thank you, John. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then... 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.